0: All right, why don't we begin uh, with a word of prayer. dearly Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. Bless us, O Lord, by your word. And may your word uh, continue to point us uh, to the faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, uh, through all things, we know that it's not by our works, but by your works. Uh, grant us this childlike faith as your Holy Spirit grants us this faith to, to lead and sustain us through these trying times. Comfort, defend, and lead us, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. <coughs> Can you hear my fan? Can you hear like a little no. rattling? No? No. Oh. No. Very good. good. Very good. And my, um, I'm still trying to get a, an office air conditioning um the fan works but the cooling system doesn't it like died last week so uh i've been drinking a lot of ice water
1: it helps i, I think you need it to does. bring to council tomorrow night pastor yeah. let's let's get that problem resolved yeah. for you oh yeah you know it, it's a good um
0: sweating technique mm. it's not even moving it's awesome but no i drink a lot of ice water it helps a lot ice water it does more than you know you know, uh, but anyways, uh, Galatians uh, three, okay, Galatians three, we're continuing on uh, with St. Paul. He does a doozy here, uh, with how he, you know we all know that St. Paul is an intelligent human being, that he's well learned of the law, but I think now as a Christian, he is using all that he knew for the sake of Christ. And this is an interesting thing. Uh, we're going to start on verse verse uh, 10, if someone could read that. Verse
1: 10. I can do that. For, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. All right. So,
0: for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, to preface that quote uh, from Deuteronomy 27 and 20, uh, Deuteronomy 27 verse 26, uh, Saint, Saint Paul says to the Galatians right here: Why are those who rely on the works of the law under a curse?
2: Why is that? Can anyone? Uh, because they want. No
1: I'm sorry, Don. Go
2: ahead. Thank you. Because no one can perfectly keep the law. Therefore, no one is can be justified under the law. So when we speak of,
0: of the curse, what is that curse? If we cannot be justified, just as Don said exactly, uh, what is uh, what is that curse that we live under? Eternal damnation. That's right. Uh, now... You know, uh, when we speak of the law, we very well know that, is the law good? And the answer is, of course, right? The law is good. I mean, it shows us uh, third use of the law, how to love and serve neighbor, right? The uh, the law as guide. Uh, first use of the law uh, is used for civil order, for the world, right? To curb uh, any type of uh, disorder and chaos. Uh, but ultimately... We see right here in Deuteronomy 27, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, the question is, can we do them perfectly? Don quickly stated, no, we cannot because of our sin, right? So when we speak of, the works of the law and cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. Well, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what does the law show us? What does the law show us at the end of the day? Second use of the law, it shows us our sin. Right? No one in the Bible, except for that one that came into the world. No one in the Bible is perfect. Right? Noah was righteous, but no one did some sinful things. Moses? Abraham? Saint Paul? Of course, right? Peter? I mean, you know, King David, right? Uh, so many examples of of what we see as the you know the the, the models of faith, the patriarchs, uh, but yet they weren't even perfect, right? So when we talk about the law, why is it important that we that ultimately it shows us our sin? Why is that understanding so important? What if Don said or no, Jeff? Of course, Jeff. We got to use Jeff as an example. You know, what if Jeff said, you know, all religions are the same. You know, you all just do some good things and follow certain laws, and if you do good enough, you'll get there. Uh, is that, as Christians, is that, is that what it is? Is that what the law is for? Is that the main thrust of the law? No, I think it convicts us of our sin and it drives us to Jesus then. Because Jesus said he is the only way to come to the Father is through him. So, uh, you know, I, I guess my question is, when we talk about relying on the works of the law, what does the devil try to do in terms of the works of the law and in terms of the Christian distracting us from what is, what our true reliance is upon? Why does he always use the works of the law as a distraction from our true reliance.
1: Show us we can never measure up. We might as well give up. Might as well give up because you can never do it. That's
0: one way of thinking of it. That's right. Uh, But when we do rely on, when we have that reliance on the works of the law, because the devil will always accuse us saying, have you done enough, right? Uh, what we're really negating in that moment is Jesus and his cross is just not good enough. See, the devil does so many sneaky things in, in where he accuses us. Have you done enough? Are you good enough? Are you righteous enough? And quickly we assess and we look at ourselves asking, have we done enough? But yet what we're doing right there is relying on the works of the law for salvation. And what we're even further doing is saying, and we might not verbally say it, but we are saying, Jesus, your work on the cross, your crucifixion and resurrection is not enough. Right? So, so at the end of the day, as Cecily said, the law crushes, the law convicts, it shows us our sin and the need or drive to, to Christ. Um, the thing is the law Cannot earn god 's blessings, right? Um, we cannot earn it, but it 's by grace that God bestows on each and every one of us the promise of of Christ now again, why is this important uh, as we look at the whole Bible, the reason why the old testament people the new testament people actually no i don 't want to no i don't want to go ahead because it 's right there never mind well we we'll Verse 11. Just continue reading verse 11. Verse 11.
1: I could do that. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith.
0: Now it is evident that no one is justified, declared righteous, right, before God. By the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Old Testament, New Testament, it's always about faith, right? It's always about faith. Faith in God, his covenant, his promise, and what he has given to us. We'll talk about Abraham and the seed, all nations, stars in the sky, and that blessing is the offspring, Christ, right? It's the promise of Christ. That is what the Old Testament Faithful people were looking and anticipating for it. That's what it was all about. The prophet Isaiah always prophesied about the coming Christ. We very well know, uh, ever since Genesis 3, we see that promise of Christ. We know that it's about faith, right? It's not about the works of the law, but it's about faith in God's promises. The righteous, why are you righteous? Because you live by faith, right? The righteous... Shall live by faith. Now, why does what does that mean, you guys? That the righteous ones shall live by faith. What is it about faith and righteousness? How do they go hand in hand? Anyone,
2: only by having faith that. that Jesus is the Christ uh, the son of God and uh, justified us through his death and resurrection on the cross only by that are we uh, justified and made righteous
0: that's right that's exactly right the righteous shall live by faith Zesitai right from uh on the word Zoane for the life of Christ, not the bios life, but the Zoane, the Zacetai, the zesitai. Uh, And this is the righteous shall ek, out of faith. So, when we talk about, uh, as Don perfectly said, faith is Christ. Christ has declared us righteous by his blood shed on the cross. And there our faith abides or remains in the vine. Oh, my wife is. My wife, I think, is here under Abe. But uh, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, what makes you righteous? If it's the reliance on the works of the law, there is no righteousness at all, but you still live under a curse. But our righteousness is of the faith, and that faith is Christ. What do we hear every time we hear the word? It is Jesus all the time, because that is where our faith is. We can never kind of go past that, because I think, as I said earlier in, in the morning class, How quickly we are distracted by the things of this world and what we listen to, and especially in this day and age, there's a lot of things going on in our world today, and so easy it is to be distracted. Um, But through the Word of God here, we very well know that we are the righteous ones, and we live in the life of Christ by faith, right? Simple as that. Now, righteous shall live by faith. Again, a quote uh, from Habakkuk 2 4, right? The Old Testament saints, how were they saved? By faith, right? Faith in whom? God, His word, His promises. Abraham, Noah, Moses, right? Apart from faith, its reliance on works, there is still the curse. Simple as that. So, I think it's very, it's very important to, we'll talk about it right now, but what happens when, let's say I, we, we talk about Jesus and say, for example, this is what Jesus has done. Now you go do the same and you, uh, and you go take the baton and finish what he started. Ah, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, um, as, as I was younger, I'd always hear sermons about, about Jesus. There's a difference, right? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I say there's a sermon about Jesus versus the proclaimed Jesus for you? Do you see the difference? I think a lot of times we could hear s- words about Jesus, like kind of what he did in his life but the proclamation of for you is very different. Now, when we speak of, like, you know, of teachings or words of just describing the life of Christ, a lot of times that kind of path will lead to something like, well, Jesus did this. Now you go do this. At the end of the day, if that is the message that we're hearing, What will we rely upon with that kind of message? Our works. The law. You know, when the law and the gospel are mixed together, the inevitable course is the law. See, when we proclaim Jesus for you, Jesus Christ died for you. When he stood in your place, when he rose from the grave three days later, this is our Faith, the forgiveness of sins that he bestowed on each and every one of us by his grace. And there we are as children of God. This is our faith. Um, And this is what I think St. Paul is really nailing home because of Judaizers. What is it? Oh, that sounds great, but the works of the law, that'll save us. Circumcision will save us. The law of works will save us. Uh, and St. Paul is trying to show them, no, it will not. It will keep you in bondage. Okay, Uh, verse 12, verse 12. So can read that?
2: Got it. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Okay, so
0: the law is not of faith. Paul quotes Leviticus 18.5 right here. Again, he quotes another Old Testament scripture, no coincidence. Uh, This verse, uh, this quote shows that, you know, um, well, they are mutually exclusive. uh, That they are apart from each other. The law is not of faith. What does St. Paul trying to say right there? That the law is not of faith.
2: You're not trying to believe in the power of Christ. Yes, the, law, the
0: law's faith is the works of salvation merited by their own works. Faith, true faith, is the work outside of ourselves, and that is Jesus and his merits upon the cross. Right? Um, yes. Uh, and this is the difference between law and faith. As I said on Sunday in our sermon, everyone has faith. Faith in something, right? Whether that's true faith or false faith, there is always faith in something. We're always clinging and trusting to something. Now, for our conscience, can we trust the law to cleanse our conscience? For forgiveness, life, and salvation, can we be confident in our works? St. Paul is saying, no, they they can't be mixed up, right? Your faith is Christ. I've taught you that before. St. Paul is trying to remind them, look, look, The law cannot save you. And um, trust me, when we stop hearing this word of the gospel, the the secular society will continue to kind of push that doing good-ism at us at every corner, right? It's always moralism. It's always kind of like this, if there's a God out there, um, I'm pretty good. So you must be happy with me, and slowly that can even seep into a Christian's life as well, right? I mean, I do good. I I try to do good, right? God must be happy with me too. I mean, after all, I'm a Christian. I I go to church. I do all these things. Give to charity, and you know, I'm a good, positive, you know, I'm a benevolent, philanthropic human being. I do all these things. Um, Quickly, we can kind of get caught up into that works of moralism and legalism, and and I hope you're cognizant of that. I think for all of us. We, we can get, what's the word? We, we can get mixed up into that, can't we? Um, and, and soon enough, we realize, wait, where am I, right? What am I doing? Because the gospel is enough. It is sufficient, his grace is, right? So so anyways, um, as we continue here, uh, verse 13 is going to take a while, so why don't we do that? Verse yeah, 13, I can read 17. it. And 14, Jeff. 13 and 14. Uh, Oh, man. Okay. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Cursed is everyone who is hanged upon a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 23. He's just quoting quotables isn't that a jeopardy i don't know is that a jeopardy um sounds like <laughs> i don't know anyways anyways sorry uh cursed is everyone who's here ha- what now what is the tradition of being hanged on a tree why why do you get hanged on a tree
1: for crimes heinous crimes heinous right Anus. heinous right
0: yes so, so you definitely have done something wrong and uh, very wrong. Very, very, very wrong. And those that are hanging upon a tree, uh, this is a curse for anyone to die this way. This is not some parade, right? This is a very excruciating death. Uh, and, and for those that are you know, committing heinous crimes, um, this was a common endpoint for them. And for Jesus, well, it says right there in the beginning of verse 13, Christ redeemed us. That is, He bought us back. He paid for us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So what is happening there? The curse of the law by becoming a curse of, uh, by becoming a curse for, a lot, for us. Second Corinthians 5:21. You know, the one who knew no sin became sin for us, kind of very similar in its exchange here. But we call that the the blessed exchange, the glorious exchange, uh, where there Christ charges unto himself our sin, and there, by his blood on the cross, he gives to us his own righteousness. It doesn't make sense to the world's mind, does it? We did nothing. He takes our sin, he dies, and he deems us righteous by his blood. Free gift. And the way he took was by being the curse for us. He went on that tree. Luther writes right here, love it. And all the prophets saw this, that Christ was to become the greatest thief, murderer, adulterer, robber, desecrator, blasphemer, etc. There has ever been anywhere in the world. In other words, Jesus took upon our sin. And took that curse of sin all the way to the cross. He went lifted high for each and every one of us for our sin. And the measure was the cross to take upon that curse. Uh, We see this in Isaiah 52 and 53. right? The suffering servant. Where their uh, prophet Isaiah would speak of Jesus as he has come without any beauty or majesty, but he came to be the one Lamb of God, silent to the slaughter for the sake of our sin, our curse, becoming the curse for us. So that took the cross to make that happen. Right? Uh, Yes. Uh, Luther also says, and this is our highest comfort, to clothe and wrap Christ this way in my sins, your sins, and the sins of the entire world. And in this way to behold him bearing all our sins. When he is beheld this way, he easily removes all the fanatical opinions of our opponents about justification by works. Right? So once he goes on the cross to die for our sins, not only does he die for them, but he, he shuts down the opponents that say we are justified by the works of the law. Be Peter the denier, Paul the persecutor, blasphemer and assaulter, David the adulterer, the sinner who ate the apple in paradise, the thief on the cross. See to it that you pay and make satisfaction for them. And this is Jesus. This is what that curse entails. Taking every sinner's sin upon that cross. Right? Right? So what is the result? Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive. Now, why is that important? Receive the promised spirit through faith. Why is that important right there? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is that implying there? Anyone? Receiving it from God, it's not from ourselves. Yes, it starts, with a, it starts with a P, ends with an E. Passive, right? It is all passive reception, right? You know, the beauty of Lutheranism is this, is that we believe that God works by his word, right? That's the beauty, right? That he actually works by his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, infant baptism, the gospel, all of it. It's all the word of God. And when we trust in God's word for what it does, as I said, uh, you know, uh, hearing God's word takes on a different context, right? It's a matter of receiving, not uh, what am I doing for God or I'm taking my time for God, but rather I'm hearing his word, receiving his word, hearing and receiving and believing as the Holy Spirit works through that very word to go into my ear, to go into my heart and mind when I receive the supper, hearing those words given and shed, receiving in my mouth and consuming the body and blood of Christ, right? This is all part of the reception, the passive, the gospel, right? Uh, So again, it says right here, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing of Abraham? What is the ultimate blessing of Abraham? It's Jesus. The line of Abraham, right? The seed of Abraham is the Christ. So the blessing of Abraham is the Christ. He might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Faith, verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Not the law, but through faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That is the law, but through faith, Abraham, blessing of Abraham, Jesus, Seed, word made flesh, gospel. This is our faith as the Holy Spirit gives this promise to us. At the very word. All right. Uh, I didn't talk about that too long. But okay. It's not. Verse 15. Verse 15. If you no could read that.
1: I can do that. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it.
0: All right. So I know, Dave. Uh, Dave, you've probably done a lot of contracts, right, in life, kind I've read,
1: of. I've read a lot. I haven't done a lot, but I've read a lot. <laughs> but after you sign the
0: contract, you don't. Uh... <laughs> you don't say, I'm going to just change something right there after they signed it. You know, I'm just going to make a little, adjust. you don't do that, right? Or do you? I, I think that's against the yeah,
1: All parties have to agree to that. <laughs> right, that's right. Uh,
0: or that's fraudulent or something like that. So when it comes to man-made covenants, no one can change or add um, um, once it has been ratified. And that is, what is St. Paul doing here? Right. He has another trick up his sleeve, of course, because he is saying in human interactions, if we don't do this after it is ratified, we, we very well know that when covenants are made, well, they will never be ratified. And and verse 16, if someone could read that real quick, speaking of covenants.
1: Yeah, sure. Now the promises were made to
0: Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. All right, so clearly, uh, what we speak of, the offspring of Abraham, the blessed seed, not to your offsprings, but rather to the one, your offspring, who is the Christ. So when we talk about promises, when we talk about uh, this uh, this covenant, um, God gave Abraham the covenant that through him he would be the father of nations. I know earlier Marjorie said, "Oh man, you gave your own son a very uh, very big name to be father of nations." and i 'm like, oh yeah, that 's right." Huh, interesting anyways we kind of took a laugh on that but anyway so I, I won't get into that conversation in a recorded YouTube session but uh but uh, the point is is that for Abraham in the Bible this is the covenant that God made with him before circumcision before the law and again what do we say in verse 15? That once something is ratified, it cannot be annulled or changed or revised, right? So when God gives the covenant to Abraham, what is he implying to all the Judaizers and the circumcision party and the works of the law party? What is he saying when in fact Abraham's covenant with God came way before what they were touting to save themselves? What is St. Paul implying? Right here. I think, simply put, that if Abraham was given this covenant from God, that covenant, that promise, cannot be changed. So when the offspring of Abraham is Christ, who is the Christ, the Christ who is the faith, the one who saves by his death and resurrection, the way to eternal life and salvation cannot be revised or changed by the works of the law. Right? God gave the covenant. You know, it's like, uh, you know, in, uh, in the Lord's Supper, what do we say? What do we say? We say, uh, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it all of you. This cup is the new testament or the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, in that context as well, covenant, testament, the last will of Christ. When Jesus says, this is my blood, this is my true blood for the forgiveness of our sins. I, I loved reading that. Christians and answers today in our service. I know it was a little long-winded, but what a great reading that was. I I just, yeah, what a great reading that was. It's been a while since I read that just in a line. But, uh, But when we talk about God's promise and his covenant, that this is my blood, it is his blood. There's no change in that. There's no, well, is it? Is it? I don't know. No, it is by his word, by his covenant, his promise. And that's where he promises to meet us. In his body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So this is, when we talk about covenants, you don't break them. God's covenant, his promise to Abraham way before, verse 17. So can we read that real quick? Verse 17. This is what I mean, the law. Which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. All right. So so obviously here, um the law came 430 years afterward, but does that does not mean that um this covenant, this promise is void, right? that this covenant with Abraham is true and continues to be true all by the promise of God. And clearly what he is trying to smash and crush is the Judaizer and their false teaching of works that save, right? So um, I think, um, again, uh, this is very important to, to decipher for us because friends, I don't know about you, but how easy is it to be distracted by the works of the law? Not saying in a sense of how we ought to love and serve our neighbor, but how that moralism, right? Can that, you know, I always describe it as going down the Hallmark aisle and reading all these cards, right? For Easter or Christmas. And I'm always trying to find something theologically correct. But a lot of times it's a lot of like platitudes, you know, a lot of general goodisms and moralisms and all these things. But it reminds me, this is how the world thinks, right? And, it, 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 and even more, more uh, cautious is that this is might how some Christians might think as well, right? Um, I used to think that way when legalism was running rampant in my life as if I had to measure up. Right? So therefore, I think it's very important about what we need to hear. What we need to hear. What we need to hear. I know Jeff was joking to me. He's like, tomorrow is going to be your 90th video on your daily devotions. Number one, I'm surprised that I still have something to say. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I repeat myself, but that's okay. Uh, number two is it reminds me that why do I do those? Is it just to fill time or just talk? No, I think it's it's because I know what we're hearing in the world today, and this is one way in which we can kind of get back to reality of who we are as children of God. It's the only way to combat all the distractions we have in the world. Right? Is to be in the Word, and that's why we do it. Right? Midweek service Wednesday. Why do we do that? The word we trust living word and what it does right because it brings us to faith it, it sustains us in the faith this is what we're battling do you see right the works of the law it, it could seep in us too this legalism right um i mean all these famous you know bill gates he's a great guy does many great things for the world and that is very great but when it comes to salvation Not even the most charitable monetary value can save him. It's only faith in Christ Jesus. And I think that's the key, you guys, is as we love and serve and live in this world, we know that we are fallen human beings and that the works of the law we cannot rely on. But when we hear and rest in the words of Christ, there we are directed back to our faith where the Holy Spirit guides us to the comfort of the words of the gospel of for you, not a pass the baton transaction. This is what Jesus has done. Now you go do this to fulfill it. No, it's to hear the words of our faith, right? Uh, to hear the words of Christ, to rest in the midst of our sinful nature, knowing full well that we are covered by his blood. This is the pilgrimage of our faith, right? So again, you know, when we talk about the covenant and the promise right? we see right here, um, The promise is not void. The covenant still rolls on because this is from God. It cannot be altered or changed or, or, or omitted, but it is Christ. Okay, verse 18. We'll conclude here today. Verse 18.
2: Got it. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. All right.
0: Someone can read Romans 4.14 for me, Romans 4.14, 4.14.
1: Okay.
2: For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. So clearly, right? Heirs, heirs is an
0: inheritance kind of thing, right? But if that's the case, faith has no, is null and void basically, right? Same thing he's saying here is if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, right? If you can inherit salvation by the law, there is no need for the promise that was given to Abraham. Right? So, uh, We'll close with this. I think uh, Luther says, if the law abolishes the promise, then it follows that by our works, we make God a liar and make his promise invalid. For if the law justifies, it liberates from sin and death, and consequently, so do our works and human powers that keep the law then the promise made to Abraham becomes invalid and altogether useless. right? So in other words, uh, if we think that the law saves us, I don't know if we ever think about this, but we make God a liar. And we make his promises invalid. I mean, are we conscious of that uh, when we might dip into that legalistic heart? Are we conscious of that reality that, wait, am I making... I'm making God a liar. Like what he said, you know, maybe I don't think that's good enough or sufficient enough uh, that I need to do something to save myself. Um, And I don't think his promise is sufficient. I mean, that's what moralism brings to the table. That's what the devil always brings to the table. He's saying Jesus is not enough. Judaizers, same thing. Jesus is not enough. He is not sufficient. You need to do better. And um, this is kind of the the tension that we see as St. Paul is trying to reiterate to them that inheritance comes by the way of the promise, that we are heirs to the kingdom by the blood of Christ, not by the works of the law. Of course we say that, right? But trust me, that law is tempting. You know what the law is tempting? Because Cecily, Dave, Jeff, and you, Don, and even my wife here, It's easy to tell ourselves, look what I did. Look at that. I'm devoted. I work hard for God. You know, I read God's word. I pray every day. Look, God, look what I did for you. It's easy, trust me. It comes in so many different angles and shades. But rather it's, thank you, O Lord, for your merciful care, knowing that by your abundant grace, you have given me the gracious inheritance through the giving of your son on the cross. Nothing of myself, outside of myself, only Christ for me and for you. This is the promise. When that law is mixed up in there, it becomes law. It becomes law. It becomes law. Right? So it's very important that as St. Paul is saying right here, you can't mix the law and the gospel together. You just can't. Because at the end of the day, it will always produce an end on law. That's the beauty of what we listen to every Sunday, every Wednesday. It's the gospel. The pastor. Why do I have to hear that again? I think it reminds me of what we read in Christian Answers. Right? Why? What if you meet someone who does not uh, believe that he is? that he needs to go to the supper. And, and, and uh, Dr. Luther would say, tell him to look, to touch his body, to look in the mirror and see his flesh or to see the world. And quickly he is reminded that he is a sinful being and he needs the word and promise of Christ, right? And, and I think that's the same with the law. You know, quickly we find ourselves trying to go up that mountain a- and we fall and we try again and we fall and we try again and we fall. And at the end of the day, we're terrified and despaired in our guilty conscience. When in fact, Jesus says, Come who are broken heavenly and I'll give you rest, right? And this is the promise that God gives to us from Abraham, the offspring, the Christ, to all the world. This covenant has been set before us by the grace of God. And this is yours. Right, So remember that this day, St. Paul is doing a doozy here as he is bringing them down the path of covenants and how the covenant has overcome the works of the law, that the promise of God, well, is the conquering gift of Christ. The righteous shall live by faith. All right. Any questions on this? I know that was quick and we did a lot there, but any thoughts on this before we conclude today? Do you see, I guess my question, and you don't have to answer this for me, but do you see how easy it is to be tempted like the Galatians were? Do you kind of see the temptation of the do-it-yourself mentality. I mean do you see that temptation? I think it's I think it's more tempting than we think it is. I don't know if that makes sense. It's tangible.
2: It's tangible. You can understand it in human terms.
0: I mean do you see that in your life? I, I think it's it's a matter of discerning, isn't it? Like what is happening? I think in the last sermon two weeks ago I said how is your wait was that two weeks ago? No, that was this Sunday, right? Great faith? Was that? Yes, great faith. (laughs) Sorry, my mind. Uh, How is your faith? And again, Don, in the tangible nature he is, now I'm just in hypothetical, of course, he would say, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. And quickly he'll find himself in the works of the law. When in fact, he should say, What? My faith is great! Because Christ conquered death and he rose on the third day to give me life and forgiveness and salvation. My faith will always be great because it is what he has done. And by what he has done, I am saved from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Right? That's our tangible gift. The body and blood of Jesus. All right, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Uh, dearly Father, we thank you for this, for this night, uh, for safely bringing us to this time. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for the promise that by your work we are saved. Uh, this night, O oh Lord, we pray for Sheldon, for his family, Lord, uh, be with them. Grant them your peace and your promise, knowing that by uh, the offspring of a woman, Jesus Christ, you have given the resurrection and the life. Bless his heart, bless his family, grant them your peace and the promise, and Lord, may they rest in your words this night. Thank you, O Lord, for your word this night, and and bless us as we go home and rejoice in who we are as your children. Lord, for all these things we are thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm Amen. All right. Well, have a good night, everyone.